We are in James chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit. We'll read a little bit, we'll talk a little bit. We got it? Yeah. All right, here we go. James chapter 1, verse 1, quick little review. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greeting. So James addresses himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of your Bibles may say servant, some may say slave, but how else is James related to Jesus? He's, he's Jesus' what? He's his brother or his half-brother, right? And the reason we say half-brother, there's not something weird going on, it's just, you know, the earthly father of James was Joseph, the, the father of Jesus' God. Does that make sense? Okay, fair. That's why he's called a half-brother, but James doesn't say that. James says a bondservant or a servant or a slave. So right out of the gate, we need to understand James knows that status is not how we get Jesus' attention, okay? You're not just all of a sudden welcomed into the circle, all right? Um, We can't earn or accomplish our way to Jesus. He's Jesus' brother. If anyone could have pulled a card, right, it would have been James. If anyone could have said, oh, this is how you get in, it's James. And he doesn't do that. Even the brother of Jesus says, and, and here's the thing too, everyone knows that. Everyone knows that James is Jesus' brother, okay? Um, and he still doesn't use that as an identifier. He doesn't even use that to help new people understand who he is. Does that make sense? He just says, um, he just says he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And are we recording, Frank? We also, you are the man. Um, here's the other thing, too. Notice, he just says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. No title, um, no sort of introduction no sort of preface as to who he is. This shows us how much pull, how much power James had in the early church. He doesn't need a title. He doesn't need a business card or an introduction. Everyone knows that when James speaks, everyone's going to listen, which shows us something. Okay, Remember, we've talked about this before, and I've used this example, but I'm not, I'm not trying to pop anybody. I'm just sharing with you what I'm sharing with you. Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters like to lean towards Peter, as being the main man in the early church, the Bible would suggest different. The Bible would show us that it's James, okay? James is the one who makes the call on circumcision in Acts chapter 15. James is the one who only needs to introduce himself with a name, right? Kind of like Prince, right? It's just basically the same guy. Did I lose you guys with Prince? You guys don't, do you guys know who that is? It's okay. Probably the less you know, the better, to be honest with you. Um, but we'll pull that out of the, the podcast. It's okay. Um, but anyway... <laughs> but um, so yeah, so James just introduces himself with his name. He's the brother of Christ, but he doesn't say that. Now let's get into arguably the most famous text in James, uh, other than "Faith without works is dead." But that's coming up later. So here we go, two through four. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So several different things that I want us to check out here, okay? First of all, James says, right out of the gate, he says, consider it all joy, right? Consider it all joy. Consider it. This word means to count it joy or to esteem it joy. In Greek, it means to lead, like um, the leading thought in your mind, the first consideration of your mind needs to be this. Here's why I bring this up. So James is talking about being happy, and it says, right, in the midst of various trials. Being happy in the middle of things going wrong. But James doesn't say, be happy 
when things are going wrong. He doesn't say that. He says, he doesn't say, be joyful when things go wrong. He says, consider it joy. Work to see joy. And and what he means is he's saying, I get that you aren't going to be joyful when this trial first hits you. Okay? I get that. I get that your knee-jerk reaction to the car accident is not going to be joy. Right? I get that. But consider. That's why he writes that in there. Um, I don't know. If you like Six Flags, right? If you're, and you're on a roller coaster, you don't have to be at the top of Goliath and say, now how am I going to enjoy it? Like you're not going to have to consider, right? Does that make sense? Or whatever. Like you get to sleep in. Hey, you get to sleep in tomorrow. Uh, like you don't have to dig deep, right, to find the joy. Does that make sense? James is saying, he, he says, I get that this is not going to happen when you encounter trial. I get that it's not going to be a natural joy. So consider it. And here's why I bring this up. A lot of times people will preach or teach like, James says, consider it joy. If you're not rejoicing in your trial, there's a problem. He says you should rejoice in your trial. You should be happy in your trial. No, he doesn't. He says, consider it joy when, when you encounter trials. Meaning, James is saying, I get that you're not going to be joyful when you first get hit with this. I get that. But consider, this is what the Christian does, all right? The Christian gets hit with the trial, there's anger, there's sadness, and then they take it to Jesus. The non-Christian gets hit and there's anger and sadness and it stays there. And that cycle just keeps going, right? Circling and drowning and circling and drowning. The Christian gets hit with it, there's anger, there's sadness, that's perfectly fine. Jesus was angry, Jesus was sad. And then the the Christian begins to consider. Here's what he's talking about. Consider God in this situation. Consider how he's working. Consider how much he loves you. Sometimes we don't get to see how it all works out, right? We talked about that at camp. But we do know that he loves us. Even if we can't see how it's working out, That's one thing we can dwell on, how he loves us in the trial. Why would we be joyful, though? He says, consider it joy. Work in your mind. Work in your Bible, right? When there's there's trial, go to your Bible. Work in your Bible to find, all right, what's he doing in this situation? How is he helping me in this situation? Why should I consider it joy? Look at verse 3. Verse 3. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, verse 3, knowing... That the testing of your faith, so that's, there's the trial, knowing that the trial, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So here's where this is important. The testing of your faith, the trial, you can just switch, you may just want to circle testing of your faith in various trials. because It's the same thing, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith, knowing that the trial produces endurance. Okay? So this testing, this trial is doing something. It produces, it grows, it creates endurance. When you go through trials, whatever they are, little things to, to, to terrible things, right? When you go through trials, something, according to this verse, when you go through trials, something is being produced in you. Something is being created in you. When you go through pain, something is being created and added in you. I tried to think of a, a good example with this, and all examples break down eventually. So this is my best swing, all right? And I'll show you when it breaks down, but imagine this. Imagine that every time you went through a trial, 
from the smallest thing to the worst thing. Every time you went through a trial, you got money put into your bank account. And the worse the trial, the more money you got put into your bank account. Now, I know that's not a perfect example because eventually, you know, some trials are so bad that even if you had money after, it it wouldn't matter, right? But if that really happened, if you knew, and it it was like gravity, it was certain, it was a law, you knew that every time you went through pain, you would get paid, it would really change the way you look at trials, right? They would still hurt. But we would have this hope inside of us, this reminder that even though all I can see is pain, even though all I can see is trial, my bank account that I can't see is growing. This thing that I can't see is growing and getting better. James is talking about something similar here spiritually. Not just trial. Now, it's not just trial. Like when you go through something bad, God's doing something good. Well, Trials can crush people, right? Trials can ruin lives. Trials can leave people bitter. But when we go through trials and have faith during them, right? Verse 3, the testing of your faith. When we go through trials and have faith during them, when our faith is stretched, right? The testing of your faith. When our faith is stretched or challenged during trials and we hold on in faith, when we, and what does that look like? Well, when we run to our Bibles. When things are going bad and we run to our Bibles. When things are going bad and we run to community. When things are going bad and we keep confessing our sins. We keep running to our community. We keep running to our Bible. We try spending more time in the Word. Our faith is growing stronger. That's holding on. Our faith is growing stronger in trials. Um, with palm trees, Okay. You always see in pictures of storms and hurricanes, the trees are bent down, the palm trees are bent down, but they're rarely ever picked up and lifted out of the ground. With palm trees, now think about James, chapter 1, what we're reading, right? These trials are growing something good inside of you. Think about this. With palm trees, the harder the winds of that area, the deeper and faster their roots grow to protect them. So the more harsh the difficulty, the deeper the roots will grow. If the difficulty is not that bad, the roots won't grow that deep. The roots respond to the external pressure. This is what happens in difficult times when we approach those difficult times with faith. Difficulty allows the roots of our faith to grow deeper and faster. That's what James is noticing. That's what James wants you to look at. Don't look at all the wind blowing your leaves down. Remember your roots Your roots are growing. So James says, when you go through trials, I know you're not going to be high-fiving each other, right? I know that. But I ask you to consider, to go home and get in your Bible and consider you are being rooted deeper in God's love. You're going to be able to empathize and help others who suffer later. You know, I used this example before. You know the scene in Inside Out? Right? Don't get too emotional. The scene in Inside Out where, what's the guy's name? Bing Bong. When Bing Bong is like super sad or whatever, and the happiness, the joy, right? The happy one is like, come on, we gotta get going, we gotta get going, we gotta go, we gotta, come on, we gotta go. And, and it's just not working, right? 
He's not getting up. He doesn't want to leave. And happiness, or the main character's kind of like, you know what, I'm done with this. And then empathy and sadness comes, right? Sits next to him. They start talking, and she is able to relate to him in a way that helps. This is what happens to you in suffering. This is one of the good things that happen. You are able to suffer better with other people. Does that make sense? You're able to sit with people better once you've been through difficult things. Because you know what it's like. That's happening. James is saying, that's something good that's coming from your suffering. Um, Every time you run to your Bible in trial, every time you run to God through prayer, every time you confess your sin, and I mean really confess it to someone that you've wronged, good is being deposited by God more and more into your spiritual bank account. You're growing more and more rich in the kingdom of God as you get poorer and poorer in trial. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So there's the sad, there's the trials, right? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Wealthy, rich. Remember, every time you go through a trial, more and more is being deposited into that spiritual bank account to help you. If... You go through that trial in faith. Here's the other thing, too. Um, if you would consider yourself, and let, there's no shame, if you would consider yourself bad at prayer, raise your hand. Like, when it's time for you to pray to God, we, we struggle. Yeah, okay, good. Okay, well, not good, but you get it. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's, one of the things that's super helpful, one of the things that's really helpful in our prayer lives is if you do what's called praying the Bible, okay? Uh, this is specifically hard if you have King James, okay? Um, but it works. So here's what I mean, pray the Bible, all right? Frank, can you go, we're going to go verses 2 through 4. We're, gonna go verse, we're okay. We're going to go verses, you, you, at beach camp, we had more like dropped water, like we had the clumsiest kids at camp. Like my, like during the sermon, it'd be like, like, what? Now? Like not at the beach, you didn't drop your water at the beach, but like when there's waves and wind, but now, um, spiritual warfare. All right, here we go. Here's how you pray the Bible. Let me help explain this, all right? Look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, all right? Here's how this is going to work, and it'll be on the board as well. So let's see here, verses 2 through 4. And here's how you pray the Bible, all right? So we read it, and as we read it, we're, we're understanding what it says, and that impacts how we pray. So you read it, you understand what it says, and that impacts how you pray. So look at verses 2 through 4. Look at here on the board, all right? All right, verse 2. Can Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And this is just kind of a, a running prayer that I'll do. Lord, help me to, con- so help me to consider it joy. See that? Consider it joy. Lord, help me to consider it joy when I encounter trials, no matter what they are. You see how that... Pl- like flies right back into this, count it all joy. Help me to count it all joy when I meet trials no matter what they are. All right, verse 3. Help me to remember that I am learning endurance during these times. Steadfastness is the same thing. For you know, he says, consider it joy when you go through bad things because you know that, and, and I don't know that all the time. I just, I don't get up saying... Can't wait for the trials, Lord. I just don't do that. So what is it? What do we pray? For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Lord, help me remember when I get when when the bad things happen. Help me remember 
that I am learning endurance during these times. Help me remember this. What else does endurance mean? I'm growing in my faith. That is something to celebrate. And there's your joy. Help me remember this. All right, verse 4, last one. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Help me to learn to endure. That's what it means. Let endurance have its full effect. Don't quit early. That's not enduring. You see that? Don't, don't give up early and turn your back on God early. Re- help me to learn to endure. Help me to learn to endure in difficulty. And to remember that in endurance you are helping me so that I'm not lacking in anything. So you see how you've got the verse and you're praying, help me to work this in. You see that? You're taking the verse and you're giving it back to God. He's given you the verse to read and now you're giving it back to Him in a way that help me with this. Help me work this into my mind. This is how you pray the Bible. You don't just have to quote it, right? You read it, you work out what's going on, and then you, you take it back to Him. Okay? Does that make sense? But James 1, 2 through 4 is a great place to start with working on how to churn that out. All right, here's the next thing. Verse 4, endurance, right? Endurance is a word that is never used in our culture, or steadfastness. It means hanging on, making it through. That's what to endure means, to make it through. And it's important to see, especially look at verse 4, verse 4, or excuse me, 3 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces endurance, verse 4. And let endurance have its, full, have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is teaching us endurance. He's growing endurance in us. He's teaching us how to make it through life. And as a Christian, you guys have to learn, we have to understand how to endure because life can be hard. And so often, I notice this a lot in in your circles, so often when things get hard, we break that friendship um, or we leave that church or we stop praying. As soon as things stop going our way, we're gone. And James is saying, when things get hard, that's the beginning of the Lord teaching you how to grow. If a palm tree was uprooted or blew away every time the wind blew, the roots would never grow. It's through the wind blowing that the roots grow. You see that? That's endurance. They grow deeper as the wind blows. And in the same way, we can spend so much of our lives looking for that picket fence, right? looking for that comfort and that ease. We'll spend our whole lives as, as shells of people, as people with no roots, who keep, le- who keep like a plant that's easily uprooted. We keep wandering wherever the wind blows. Things are good over here, I'll stay here. Things are bad, oh, it's time for me to leave. Oh, things are good here, well, it's time for me. And it's, it's just so bad for your soul because you don't grow. That's what James says God is trying to teach us. Um, if endurance is knocking at the door, trials is going to be the first thing to answer. That's how we grow. Okay? And you see this in adults big time. You can tell by the time they get in their 30s and 40s who's been there and who hasn't. Whose roots have grown and whose hasn't. You may not be able to tell that as much at your age, and that's okay. Some of you, you can't. But you'll see as you get older and as you meet people who are older, you say, well, this person... They clearly just have, they haven't been through anything yet. And that's not good or bad, but the result in our hearts, it shows. Now, verse 4, it says, Let endurance have its full effect, meaning don't stop early. 
Keep going until you get to the other side. Pray your way through it. Read your Bible through it. God doesn't just leave you out there to quote-unquote endure, okay? He doesn't just like leave us out there hanging. He gives us resources, your Bible, your friends. Dairy Queen is awesome, right? Blizzards are great. I tell the college students every time we talk about suffering, because like, they spend so much time trying to like theologize and like meet with the pastor and listen to Hillsong and meet with the pastor again and listen to this again. And those things are good. I want you need to do those things. But I'm but I'll meet with them. I'll say, man, you, you need to go, you need to get out. Like you need to go to the mall and look at those like three stores that we have that are great. And like you need to go and like eat Chick-fil-A and relax, like bread of life. Come on. Caleb, I'm just gonna smack you, man. I'm just gonna hit you in the mouth. Um, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so like but you've got to do these things. This is what God gives us to endure. Now, here's, then listen, bring it back. Here's why, I, I know Caleb's trying to distract you, but like, here, here's how you bring it up. You have to work on, because these things help us to endure. We have to get through things. You have to be a person that gets through things, that toughs it out, that has what's called grit, okay? Let endure, and this is what James says, let endurance have its full effect. Listen, this means if God's goal is endurance, This means God's ultimate goal is not to get you through the trial, but to grow you in it. God's ultimate goal is not to get you through the trial, but to grow you in it. That totally changes how we look at trials sometimes. Because as soon as we're we're enduring something, we just want to get through it. Get me through this, Lord, get me through this safely. But but the Lord's response may be, I am going to get you through this, but that's not my ultimate goal. That's not what I'm thinking about first while you're going through your trial. I want to change you and grow you. Remember Joseph? Joseph was left in a prison cell for like two or three years. Well, if God's goal was to get him out, he's certainly doing a terrible job. But if his goal is to grow, change Joseph, okay? That's different. To grow you during it. To help you see his love better. Not just to make you a better person. That that doesn't... To help you see him more clearly. To make, you, to make you tougher and soften you up. Would you believe me if I told you that most of the time those things happen together? Sometimes we get so toughened up that we just become kind of jerks. Or we become so soft that we become doormats. It's not what a Christian is. A Christian has what's called a healthy backbone. Which means you're willing to serve and be kind and be gentle. But you're also willing to stand up for what you need to stand up for. You're not just a jerk that bulldozes people. There are a lot of that in church. A lot of people like that. It's because they haven't grown the right way. They haven't leaned in. Okay? You also find a lot of people who are way too nice in church. Okay? Same problem. God is doing all of that in you during trials. And so James says, rejoice. God is going to get you through it. But James says, rejoice because he is producing endurance. God's goal is to grow you more loving, more patient, listen, more alive, more alive. I just wonder how many of you, myself included, we go to work or we go to school and we, we're nice to people who are nice to us and we avoid people who are mean to us and then we go to practice or, or we go home and do homework and we veg out on our phone and then we go to bed and that's it. And we do that day after day after day after day after day and there is no There is no change. There is no growing. Trials are when Jesus breaks in through that picket fence life that we're trying to build and says, no, 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 no. You're you're, you're a shell of a person. 
I've got to make you real. I've got to grow you deeper. That's what James is saying, rejoice. He's making you real. He's making you grow. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 6. But he must ask in faith and without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man should not expect anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here we go. So James, James is kind of stream of consciousness, all right? James is just kind of going. He, it's connected, but he's not like point one, point two, point. James drives a lot of like type A people crazy when they read because it doesn't look like he's connecting to anything, right? But he is, and you've got to look a little bit. So he, he starts about trials, and he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, so if you're going through trials, but you're dumb, here's what you need to, that's not what he's saying, okay? He's saying if you're going through trials, here's the wisdom, what wisdom? Wisdom to remember what verses 2 through 4 say. Wisdom to remember, you know, because I'll preach about trials right now. And when you go home, on your way home to watch TV and eat pizza and whatever MySpace, whatever you guys do, right? You're going to be on your way home, boom, flat tire. Boom, here comes the phone call. Boom, you lost your wallet. Boom, you lost your wallet and you know your parents are going to kill you, which is way worse than losing your actual wallet, right? Here comes all, amen. Here comes all, I just preached about this, guys, but here we go. And as soon as the trial, adults do this too, as soon as the trial hits, where are you, God? Are you kidding me? I'm not praying tonight. I'm so done with this. Whoa, 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 you, You've forgotten everything we just talked about, which is why James immediately follows this teaching up with, If you don't have the wisdom to grasp this, if you don't remember this, ask God to help you. Because as soon as you you get hit, everything I've taught you is going to go out the window. Unless the Lord ties it down to your heart. You see what I mean? Um, It's like a balloon filled with... All the teaching in this world is like a balloon filled with helium. It's trying to get away from you. The world is broken. So you need God's grace to tie it to you. You see what I'm saying? That's what he says. If you lack wisdom, if you don't remember that he's working in your heart, ask God to help you remember. That's what he means with wisdom. Pray that he will remind you. Pray that he will open your eyes to see all the good that's happening in your soul during trials. Verse 6. Look at what he says here, though. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Ask without doubting. Here, here's what this means. Because so, it's like you're praying and it's like, all right, how do I know if I'm doubting? Like how do you actively, consciously like, all right, Lord, I, I would like for this. I don't think I'm doubting. Okay, here we go. You know, amen. Like what do you do? Like how do you know if you're doubting? It's not so much about in the moment of prayer. Here's how you know if you're praying with doubt. It's not so much about the moment of prayer. Anyone could say anything. It's more about what happens after. Think about what we've been talking about. The shadow of endurance. Enduring. Wisdom to endure. Patience is a great example. You pray for patience. Lord, help me be more patient. The next day, you go to the doctor's office and you wait and you wait and you wait or the DMV or whatever and you wait and you wait and you wait. All right, Lord, I thought I was praying for patience. Come on, hang on. What what do you think he's trying to do, fam? What do you think he's trying to teach you? Right? Well, I'm not, doing, I'm not praying for patience anymore if I'm just going to have to sit in the DMV all the time. I'm not doing that. Well, well, things start to go bad, and you say, nope, never mind. Forget it. 
you're not taking your faith and matching it with your prayer. You're not praying with any faith. Or, or you pray, um, Lord, help me fight lust. And the next day, you go looking for it on your phone. You prayed, but you showed no faith. You see what I'm saying? You're not trying to walk what you're talking. You're not trying to, to walk out what you're praying. Praying without faith is just saying. Does that make sense? You're just talking. It's not actual prayer. Humble brag, I just thought of that right now. Um, just thought of that rhyme right now. But I've been thinking about it all day. But you see what I'm, But it's true. Praying without faith... Praying without follow-through the next day is just saying. You're just talking. And that's what James is saying here. Um, we prayed, but when it, came true, when it came time to show our faith, we didn't have any. I prayed for patience. He's put me in the DMV. He's put me in the doctor's office. You've prayed for patience. Show that, you, that this is what you want. Show God your heart by trying to do the best you can. Not perfectly, but consistently. Leaning in. Look at verses 6 and 7. 6 and 7. And when I find it, there we go. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect anything, that he, and he will receive nothing from the Lord. You pray for patience and stuff is happening and you get angry and you get frustrated. I'm not praying for patience anymore. Your doubt has impacted your praying. Pray without doubting. Prayer, prayer is rarely like a vending machine, okay? You pray for patience, and here it is. You pray to be able to fight lust better, and here it comes. God grants the request, patience, right? God grants the request by granting the means to get to it. You pray for patience. He doesn't just give patience. That's not how the heart works. That's not, that's not how the heart operates, if you pray for patience, God will give you patience by giving you means to grow your patience. You see what I'm saying? It's like if you prayed, it's like if you prayed for a bottle of water and I just can't or, or for water and I just splashed you with water in the face. Thanks a lot. Well, I wanted I I can't I can't take the water like that. I was thinking like a bottle of water, like a container. Think about it like this. The circumstances that happen are the container of what you're asking for. He can't just give you patience. What is patience? What, what, do you, what do you mean? He can't just give you patience. He's got to give you circumstances that act as a container for that patience so that you can begin to take it in and grow. When we doubt, we run away from those means. We won't change. If you're just going to send me to the DMV when I pray for patience, I'm not doing this anymore. We're not changing. Remember, in, in light of endurance, James is saying... If he's praying something and then makes no effort to get that thing, he doesn't really want it. So he shouldn't expect to receive anything. You're, remember, he says you're going the way the winds are tossing you. If this isn't working, I'm not praying for it anymore. If this, if this works, I'll pray for it. If this isn't working, I'm not going to pray for it. You're just, wherever the winds of circumstances go, that's where you'll go. Almost done, verses 9 through 10. Verses 9 through 10. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like a flowering grass, he will pass away. All right, here's what this means. Verse 9, but the brother of humble circumstance is to glorify in his high positioning. Remember what James has just said, what humble circumstance. When things are hard in our lives, God is working good in our hearts. 
the brother who is in humble circumstances, humble means lowly, lowly circumstances. Things aren't going great, right? Not super popular, not super well-liked. Things are not, things are not going well. Um, it doesn't have to do with like social status, but whatever. Things aren't going well in your life. Humble circumstances should exult in his high position. How can it be a high position if you're in low circumstances? If God is working unseen things in your heart. If God is using these low circumstances to work good things in your soul. When things happen to bring us low, humble, when things happen to bring us low or to humble us, we should rejoice because God is working in us things that last. When when things happen to us, God is working things in us that last, internal things that matter. Look at 10 and 11, and we'll, we'll end it here. 10 and 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower and the flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed over time. So too will the rich man in the middle of all his pursuits fade away. The rich man rich in all this external stuff that he cannot take with him, stuff that will pass away, beautiful, awesome stuff. Jet skis are awesome, right? These wonderful things. But we can't take these things with us. Just like a flower is beautiful, but what does a flower do? It passes away. In his humiliation, in the time... Now, patch that into 9 and 10. In his humiliation, in his humble circumstances, when he's brought low... God is working in him things that will last forever. That's why you rejoice when the, out, when the external things are attacked. Because then that's when he works on the internal things that will be stuck with you forever. When the seen things that we have are attacked or taken away, God is working on the unseen things that we have. When the seen things that we have are taken away or attacked, money, health, job, when those things are taken, God is working on the unseen things in our soul. Patience, maturity, things that do not pass away. This is so important and so important for you to spend time in James and see that there is internal stuff in your heart that you will be stuck with forever that will make you and the people around you miserable forever or built up and enjoy forever. That's the stuff that God's got to work on. Okay? If you're immature and that immaturity sticks with you as an adult, God help the people you have to interact with. Because there are immature adults everywhere. You know immature adults. And you guys are kids. You're supposed to whatever, do dumb stuff, whatever. But, but the adults that are immature... They wreak havoc on churches. They wreak havoc on on schools and businesses and all these different places. If your immaturity and whatever that looks like, if that sticks with you forever, God help you. Unless, Unless God breaks through our picket fence life to work on that. To work on the... That's what James is saying. God is working on something that will stick with you for the rest of your life. That's why James says to rejoice. If you notice, all right, you know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Um, Lazarus dies and goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. Fun fact, and you can just entertain all your friends. The, <laughs> did you know? Um, the rich man in that parable 
He has no name. This is one of the few parables that Jesus tells where the people don't have names. Now, Lazarus has a name. The rich man is his name. His possessions has taken over his entire life, his entire soul. He is the rich man. And it destroys him. And this is not a, a bash on wealth. King David was wealthier than anybody in here. Okay? And David, I'd like to be as close to God as King David was. This isn't an attack on wealth. But it's a warning as to what these things can do to our souls. And it's a, it's a reminder that your identity is in your stuff and in your status. And when God takes those things away, he's trying to change your name to his kid. Last thing, verse 11. Verse 11, for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too will the rich man in all his pursuits fade away. James and Ecclesiastes does this too. He looks at life as the scorching sun rising, burning things away, and then the sun goes down and the sun comes up the next day, does it all over again. It's just this grinder. That's what life is. And I'm not trying to like, all right, let's pray. Go home, guys. That, that's, I'm not trying to like spoil that, but I'm saying life in James's mind is this thing that requires endurance, is this thing that requires grit. So the next time the power goes out or you don't get to go to your friend's house like you thought or, or something really bad happens, somebody gets sick, don't just... Im- James's point is work on your soul so that your immediate kickback is, well, I'm done with God. I'm done with this. If this is what religion gets me, forget it. James is saying, look, I'm trying to show you this is life. Life takes endurance. Life takes running back to your Bible over and over and over again. This cannot just be something that you do when you happen to have a few minutes left over. It just can't be. you got to need this. And that's when it'll start to hold you up. I don't see, you know, the lady buys the treadmill and she brings it back in two weeks. Well, I didn't lose any weight. Well, did you get on it? No. See what I'm saying? I don't get how the Bible helps. Well, have you read it since beach camp last year? Well, I've been busy with, oh, okay, got it. Like, that's the point. Like, you've got to start getting reps with this thing. You've got to start, I encourage you, we don't have service next week because of wind shape, okay? I encourage you, that gives you a week and a half to chew on James chapter 1 and then the next Wednesday we meet, we'll go through chapter 2 and work on praying this back to God, okay? Work on finding parts of James that you can pray back to God so that when life does go bad, you're, you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be angry. James is not made of stone. He feels, he understands that. But once you've been angry, once you've been sad, Work on taking it to Jesus. Help me to understand the good that you're working in my soul in these times.